Welcome back to The Franziska Show, a Jewish coffeehouse podcast, the show on which everyday creatives share their unique journeys. I am Franziska, a singer, composer, music producer, podcast coach, and also your host. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode on The Francisca Show. This is part of our series where we have a representation of more of the Haredi and Yeshivish women who are extremely successful in what they're doing without having an online presence with their faces and their voices. So I'm so excited. This is an honor and pleasure. We have finally gotten Miriam Israeli onto this podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a an honor and a privilege. Thank you. So Miriam Israeli is a singer, songwriter, and composer. Uh, we go way back. I grew up listening to some of her music that I heard through other singers. And we actually performed on the same stage when I was about eight or nine years old back in Moscow. So this is just so wonderful to be talking to you today. You are in the midst of lockdown number two in Israel. So thank you so much for coming out during this time and talking to us. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's so much more of a pleasure to make some contact with someone. And basically, you know, I, I just see the members of my immediate family and that's about it. So, Well, happy to be entertaining here. So let's dive right in and tell us a little bit about your background, how you grew up. Was music always a part of your life? What was the music like in your family? Take us a little bit back the memory lane. Okay, so, um, I mean, music wasn't, it wasn't part of my family. I mean, I think my mother, I believe, is musical, but she'd never expressed it anyway. She just loved listening to classical music. I always loved music. Um, I spent, like, my childhood years when I was, I don't know, eight, nine, ten. I used to just sit and listen to music for hours. There was not very much Jewish music uh, available in those days. It was before the days of MBD. So, you know, um, we had a couple of Pirche records and we had 613 Torah Avenue. Um, and I used to listen to those again and again. And I was fascinated, fascinated by um, people who composed songs, especially younger people. Um, I, we, I, at that time we were listening to records. That was, you know, a really long time ago. <laughs> And um, I would read the flaps of the records. And I remember on the flap of the London Pirche, which we had a few albums of, which I listened to repeatedly, there was a song um, composed by a young man uh, who was 11 years old. And I used to read that caption again and again, like, wow, cool, an 11-year-old boy made up a song. Um, and on the Toronto Pirche, there was a picture of this Bacher who had made up songs on the album. And I used to like look at that also and say, wow, he made up songs. He was about 16, 17. Um, his name was Yerachmiel Begun. Um, and it was, it, I just found it fascinating. And I, I didn't realize at the time that it was, you know, not every nine-year-old is so fascinated by that information. Um, so that was like really my, that's my, those are my first memories of music. Um, I started actually being, like involved in writing um writing in rhyme when I was 11 because I had a teacher who introduced us to poetry her name was Perry Schwartz at the time now she's Perry Hecht um and um after we had learned a unit on poetry she asked us to write a poem and I didn't have an idea for a poem so 
I decided to write a poem about a girl that doesn't have an idea for a poem. And I thought it was terrible. I thought it was a terrible, terribly unoriginal. And another girl wrote about being a dumpling in the soup. And I thought, that's so cute. Why didn't I think of that? Anyway, um, my teacher was so impressed with the poem that I had written. She sent me to the principal to read it to her. And and then I realized, oh, wow, I, I, I know how to do this. I, I This is a talent I possess. I, I don't know if I thought it consciously, but after that, I kept writing poems. I kept waiting for the inspiration throughout the, the seventh and eighth grade when I was 12 and 13. When I was 14, I came into BYA High School. Our school had a piano. And one day I sauntered into the our lunchroom and two girls were sitting at the piano. I still remember their names. They were in 11th grade. I was in ninth. It was Devery Fallick and Zelda Strauss. They were singing a song. And I was like, oh, that's a nice song. The words were Eitz Chaim Hilamachazikimba. I said, where is it from? So I don't remember if it was Devery or Zeldi. One of them said, I made it up. I said, what do you mean made it up? It's a pasuk. She says, no, but I made up the tune. I said, you made up the tune? I was flabbergasted. And again, I think subconsciously, something went through my mind, like if she can, so can I. And that year I started composing music. So that was really how, how it all you know came together. The lyrics and the music, by the time I was 14, I was doing both. Wow. And where, I know you play instruments. I know you play piano. How did that? I don't. Oh, you don't. Why do I have a memory of you standing by keyboard? Maybe I saw piano and I gravitated towards it and you saw me gravitating towards <laughs> it. But I did over like, I didn't, I didn't really, you know, I, I learned a bit of guitar from my friends when I was in high school. And then later on, after I was married, a couple of times I tried to take keyboard lessons, guitar lessons, but I was raising a large family and working and I could never find the time to practice. So I abandoned that, but um, I'm still hoping to play one day. My, I'm still hoping to play piano one day when well, I, you know. My grandmother started <laughs> taking piano lessons about a year ago and she's playing. So, well, that's a beautiful. So that's it. That's exactly what I mean. <laughs> When I have grandchildren your age, then maybe uh, that'll be the time. Uh, yeah. So I love that story. And it's fascinating because you completely nourished yourself in terms of discovering the you know, possibility of writing and creating music and words and tunes to really creating career out of it. And we'll have you talk about, do you consider this being your career or do you consider other things to be more primary in your life? Um, so can you take us from, you know, this 14 year old young woman who is writing and creating, how do you transition and where, where does your big break happen? Your first one. Um, so, um, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I went through my high school years, uh, creating, but nobody, really nobody knew. And it was, it was frustrating for me because, because I was creating something that was meant to be used in a certain way. I was creating songs and they were meant to be sung. And the only person singing them was me. And I didn't even play. So it was like just me singing to myself without music until I was in 12th grade. I didn't even have how to record it. So it would just like, I would just kind of sing it to myself. Um, I think, I guess, a, a little bit of a break happened when after I finished high school, um, somehow word got around that I write songs. Uh, my sisters came into high school and 
uh, headed a production in the geo, so they asked me for songs. So words started getting out, and that was very exciting for me to finally be able to share my music. I remember that um, Thomas Devorah High School asked me for a song, uh, which I composed for them, and I went to their performance, and it was the first time I heard a song of mine being performed with music, with a choir, with harmonies. I will never forget that moment. It was definitely me and Om Haba. It was like, uh, you know, uh, just one of those moments. It's unforgettable. And then I, I was just by getting started and getting into it, I got married and I moved to Israel. And then it was back to square one for me because nobody knew me in Israel. Um, so I reached out to BJJ and I started writing songs for them. Um, the second song that I wrote for them, I wrote the song for them, theme song for them one year. It was the first song I was writing in Hebrew. The second year that I wrote their song, that was Ima Tagidili. So I guess you could call that my next break, although I had no idea at the time that it was a break. I had a very difficult time writing the song. I was a young mother. I had just become a mother. My baby daughter was two months old. I remember writing the song, holding her in my arms. And I had no idea that, I mean, it's, uh, she's you know, 30 years old. I had no idea that 30 years later, everyone would still be singing that song. So it was a break, but I didn't know it at the time. So when did the switch happen from you writing the song for BJJ to having it recorded by a boy? And I'd love for you to share also about the backstory. I, you, did you go to Rav and ask how you can get your music recorded? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so this was a process. I was, you know, I kept writing songs for many years and, um, and, um, you know, you mentioned uh, earlier that I nourished myself. It was a kind of, you know, I had this, this passion and you mentioned career, which is going to come up later, but like for me today, music is my career, but it was never about making a career. It was always just about making music and it evolved. However, however it evolved. So, so this step of the involvement, reading, reaching out to BJJ was, was one. And then I, you know, I did a an eighth grade choir for a school, but somehow it, it, it wasn't enough. I wanted to do more. I wanted to, to have more of a venue for my songs. Uh, so I opened up my own choir <laughs> because I figured in my choir, I'm the boss and they're going to sing my songs. It was an after school program for which they call here a chug. The girls come to after school. I started with seven girls. I was, um, <clears throat> I had qualms about doing it for Israeli girls because I wasn't Israeli. I started with English-speaking girls. Uh, I started with seven girls in my dining room. Um, and I somehow got someone to do music for me, I don't know, for very cheap. And, um, and that continued for a number of years. With that group of seven girls, uh, one of the songs that we performed is today also quite well-known. It's called Tentik Valayeled. Um, and, and over the years, the choir grew, but, but so did my passion and my appetite for sharing my music. So I really very much wanted to write songs for singers, but they weren't looking my way. So I decided if they're not singing my songs, I will produce my own CD. Um, and that's where asking, asking Rav came in. Um, I was not a singer yet at that point. It, that came later. I just, I was going to record the choir. I figured we have the music. I have the choir. They have the harmonies. All I have to do is take them to the studio. But I wanted to make sure halakhically it was like above board for, for, for everyone, for everyone in the choir. And I had 
Sephardi, Ashkenazi, and Litvish, and Hasidish, and American, and Israeli, and, you know, it, it, I had, like, passing through the choir every year were at least 100 girls. So I went to ask Rebel um, Yashiv about doing an album with uh, women singing. He did not give me an answer. He sent me, he first said to ask Vlad Mishmeras and then he said to ask Rav Bosner's Basedin. And Rav Bosner's Basedin, my husband spoke to a Rav on the phone and he was asked a number of questions and I made it clear that this was going to be available in stores and I got a no. Don't do an album with the girls and women singing. And uh, what year was this? You know, with the this was um, the late 1980s. Um, and you know, with a woman, if at first you don't succeed, argue. So I took the phone from my husband and I argued with the rub and I said, but it's going to stay for women only. And he was very patient. He went back to the basin, get back to the phone, and he says, the rub says, it says, Parnassa beheter velo beisser. You know, Parnassa in a way that is permissible and not forbidden. So my my hands were tied, so to speak. And, but, you know, I felt like that's it. That's binding. I, I didn't have a choice. I can't say that it was a temptation for me to do it anyway, having asked. I think the temptation was in the maybe I won't ask. You know, I think that's where the, 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 that's where the real challenge, the real Nisayon is, is in the asking. Because once you ask, you know, you're going to listen to a rub. But sometimes you don't ask because you're afraid of the answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know whose idea it was actually to produce uh, an album with my songs um, with men singing. And that's really, that was fine for me because I wanted my songs out there. I didn't care who, who sang them. So I produced my first album in 19, uh, I think 1990 it was. Um, And 10 years later, I produced another album again with my songs. And that's the next part of the story. But I'm just going to go back and and say that it was, you know, this this, um, sock of not doing a a women's album. It was something that was difficult for me to understand. And I went to ask again. I went to ask for an explanation. And the explanation I was given is that it's not against halacha, but that it negates das yehudis, which is the essence of a Jewish woman. No, it's our our essence is that of kol kavuda bas melachpanima. There is a certain place where this is from here on. This is private. This is only between women, and we share this only with women. So, according to Rav Ozner's Basin, this was not following that. To, that there are certain things that we share only with women. Not every posek, uh gives that, you know, verdict, but that was the sack that I got. Um, so the next step, uh, it was really, I, I put out my second album. I hired Ari Goldwag to sing on that album. Um, and that is why several years later, three or four, no, four or five years after the second album. So keep in mind that this is, a good 15 years after I put out my first album, um, he, he, he reached out to me because he remembered me. He remembered that I write Hebrew and I speak English and he had to write a song and he was stuck because he's an English speaker. His Hebrew is quite good, but not, you know, that good. So he said, I need help writing a song. Can you help me with this? It's for Ben Friedman. And the concept is Yesh Tikva. So I said, yeah, sure. And um, I, uh, I, you know, I wrote Yesh Tikva. I, I left some of Ari's lyrics, the ones that I felt were, you know, good. 
and I wrote the rest of the song and then that the rest is history. <laughs> that song created literally a revolution. Um, and then, and, and after that song, having that under my belt, I dared approach Jakob Schwecki's producer at the time and said, can I write a song for Jakob? You know, Cause not everybody can. And I said, I wrote Yeshtikva. So he, he agreed. <laughs> and that brought about my next big break because the song I worked on was Zehakatan Godolie. And the composer was Yitzi Waldner. And um, that was a very fruitful uh, combination, Yitzi and I working together. And after that, he really, he sent a lot of the singers my way because he's been in the business for like uh, probably 25 years at least. Um, so a lot, a lot came about through him. Some, some were independent, but a lot came about through him. And then, you know, once you've, you've written a hit song and then another one and another one and another one, then just one brings the other. So, you know, you had mentioned about the fact that I don't have an online presence and so on and so forth. You know, so many years ago, I had this, this psaac, which was, was difficult. And then directly as a result of my obeying that psaac, because that's why I did a men's album. That's why I knew Ari Goldwag. And that's where I am, where I am today. So even now, not having an online presence for me is difficult. I see the stuff that's coming out. I, I, I see, you know, and, and things have changed. You know, it, it used to be just like, you know, albums. Now I see that there are singers who are posting on YouTube and it's, it's very tempting. It's really very tempting. But, you know, then I remind myself that I, I didn't lose out then. So I guess I won't lose out now. And everyone asks her own rub and has her own sack. I'm not saying someone else should do what I do. This is my story. But, you know, that's, uh, that's how it came about. Wow. It's really powerful to listen to your story, to listen to you talk about it. And I would love to just go a little deeper into those feelings and what it's like to have your music really out there, which it is the dream for anyone who writes music and writes words, which I would love to address. <clears throat> how, how do you have lyrical Hebrew skills? That, that's just mind-boggling for me. Where did you get that from? Where, where, where did you develop that? But what did it feel like being on the, you know, on the back behind the scenes watching all of that happen and knowing that you know in a different world or if you were born a man maybe things would be different and just what does that feel like you know i don't know how what the age of your viewers is you know yes, if i everyone. was 18 if i was if i was 20 if i was 30 you know what i mean from my vantage point it took me a long time to get where i am now right i'm writing music for 40 years. So, you know, so, so since I only arrived where I am now, I'm not at that point where, you know, I, I, I so need that, you know, to, to, to whatever it is, I don't know, that illusion of, of success that, you know, that, it, of, that you supposedly have if, if you're out there. I, you know, at my age, like, I, I know that being out there, being famous, I mean, if we're talking about the secular world, like, fame and fortune don't, are not the equivalent of happiness, just probably just the opposite, you know, and it's, um, I mean, I heard, um, if I remember the name correctly, I think it's Miriam Sandler speak um, about her career in the music world, and she was like, 
it's such a cut through, you know, world. And it's such a, and it's, and also like, I mean, for women, it's, it's even, you know, there's women are taken advantage of in, in different ways. So like, it, that doesn't interest me. And as far as if I would be a man, um, well, the male artists definitely get paid more than the female artists, but I'm, I'm, I'm so happy doing what I'm doing. I, I, I'm so happy that throughout the world, people are singing my songs and people are finding strength and people are finding faith and people are coming closer to Hashem and people are finding joy. I, I don't think there is really any, any greater reward than that. I don't think fame or fortune can hold a candle to that. I, this is something real. This is something deep. This is something that is, becomes a part of me. And, and remains a part of me, unlike fame and fortune, which just can just, you know, disappear. And then once you don't have them, then what do you have? I, you know, I have something real. I have something real for Olam Haza and Olam Haba. So that's, you know, that's how it feels. So I am not satisfied with your answer just enough because it, it's beautiful and it's true. But there's something we haven't yet touched upon which is the practical element. Yes, the men get paid more. They have the opportunities to perform. You probably got, you know, one lump sum and you're never getting a royalty again, which doesn't exist really in the mainstream secular world of music. No, I'll, I'll cut you off. Actually, I do receive royalties. Oh, so let's talk about that. Not, 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 I don't know how to receive royalties in, you know, it, in the U.S., but I, there is, um, there is a, I don't know what to call it, a, a body here called ACOM that protects the rights of, of, of you know people that create I don't know how you say it's um, and uh, I receive royalties. Share. Yes, I do. Uh, that's that's wonderful to hear. So, um, and I know the way the lump sum works when people do buy a song. Um, that well, men might get paid more than women, or women get paid. I'm not. I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about performing. performing. That male performers um, well, that make a lot more money than female performers, which is understandable because they can sing for men and women, whereas women can only sing for women if they're, you know, Shomer Torah Mitzvahs. Um, so, that, you know, that's that's the only thing. I have absolutely no desire to sing for men. Um, if I would get, you know, paid as much as the Agmashvah Kinovrafi, that would be great. But, you know, that's, that's not the important, that's not the important part of it. And I do get to sing. I, I sing all over Israel and all over the world and it is immensely rewarding. Um, and I, it's been so much fun and uh, so amazing to meet communities throughout the world. You, you see, I was in, in Moscow with you. Um, and, um, I still hope to reach many other communities across the United States wherever my songs are sung and I haven't been in South America yet or South Africa or Australia. There is still, you know, I've been in quite a number of places, but I'm still hoping to, you know, once the world opens up again, uh, Absolutely. I hope to be all over. And do you have an agent who handles, you know, or an assistant who handles your booking and negotiations or do you do everything yourself? So usually I, usually I do it myself. This summer I did a tour and I, I did, um, I did take a young woman named Lemmy Ackerman to be my agent and to put it all together because the summer tour is, is complicated. It's in the Catskills and it's, it's just technically very complicated. Um, but usually I handle my own, uh, my own affairs. I, I find that people are really, you know, they're happy to talk to me. I mean, maybe it makes you more important if no one can talk to you, but 
in general, I find that people like dealing with me directly and that's fine for me. Nice. Okay. So going more into the industry itself and you, the women around you or your friends are probably not in your industry. What, what does your day-to-day look like? And do you have any social structure around your work? So first of all, um, it happens to be that this field here in Israel is, is very, very advanced uh, and developed. I see, in, I see in the States also, there's a lot of women singers. I definitely have friends that are, are, are singers. Um, and some of them are, you know, also compose and write their own music. They just, I'm just, they don't work with the, you know, the, all the, my male colleagues. Um, but my daily structure is, is, doesn't really revolve around, around my business. In other words, I have my, my, whatever I do, you know, I take care of my family, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, cooking, laundry, housework, I go to the gym and, you know, when there's a show, there's a show and I go perform as far as writing music, there's no set time for it. You know, if I'm working on a song, so I will, I might be thinking about it while I'm doing something else. Um, I wrote the final and the draft, which Benny finally accepted of every Anochi when I was in the grocery. You know, um, it, it's 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 there all the time because it's it's in my mind. So I'm basically doing it all the time. Sometimes I will actually sit down and do it. You know, but it could be any time. Could be in the afternoon. Could be after supper. Could be at night when I'm getting into bed. Um, so it's just there all the time. But I have my regular structure. Right. Well, I love that, and it makes a lot of sense, and it's very creative like, you know, the fact that it just comes to you. And what's so amazing is that you you don't even use an instrument as a tool to your creative process. Everything literally comes through your mind and onto paper, I'm assuming, or recording. So it comes to my mind today, not onto paper, onto onto this little device, uh, which I am, well, I'm not recording now because when I write, I write. So I'm, I'm basically typing, um, and, um, but when I, I do compose, then it's, it's really as if the only way it can describe it is as if I have some sort of, um, like some sort of player in my head, like an MP3 player or something. And it's as if I hear it in my brain and then I, I literally learn it from my brain and then I can sing it. And sometimes I start singing and if I start singing too early then I have to like shut up and go back and listen to my brain again, cause I don't know it yet. It's, it's a very strange process. That's so interesting to listen to. So as someone who is extremely experienced in this industry, and you've been here before, many of us popped up onto the scene. What are your observations about this industry, about women, the new wave of women's music and um, women's voices being out there? And that probably correlates somehow to you raising your children. So how does that all come together? Does my question make sense? I'm, I'm not sure if you're asking me about women's music or women's music being, you know, more like public or, or women's voices being more public. What's the so question? the question is the industry has changed. Norms have changed. What are your observations and feelings and thoughts around all of this? And how it correlates to you raising your family or your 
what if your daughter comes to you and says, you know, I want to open up an Instagram account and I, maybe that's not something that would ever pop up, but that, that is the, you know. So you're talking to me about social media. Um, social media being used for, for music or social media in general? For music. Okay. You're welcome to to talk about whatever you want, but my question is the observation. You know, things have yeah, changed. No, What's as somebody who's you know who's been a pillar and who's been here before all of this came? What are your thoughts? What do I think? Yeah. So I, I again, I'm not I'm not a rev. I I do feel like there you know standards always move and shift and change. That that's just how it is. And that's how it always has been. Um, so you know. That is something that has to be accepted. Um, the question, like specifically about now posting on YouTube or Instagram or whatever else is available, um, I feel for me, as as you said, as as a pillar of you know what was, I, I feel that that's just the right thing for me, and 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 that's that's my position. Uh, but I think in general, with music and with everything else, um, many issues are not black and white. You know, so it, it's very individual. What, whatever we're talking about, the answers are different for different people. Um, different groups wear different kind of clothing. Um, so, you know, about, I mean, when I, when I first came across, you know, um, women posting, you know, different things, I was like surprised. But I don't think it's my place to approve or disapprove. I, I think it's it's up to the rabbanim of today's generation, and each and each person, you know, each each singer has her rabbanim. And if your rav says this is okay as long as you write for women only, then you're following your rav. So I I do think that you know this it has to be checked carefully. What's okay? What's not okay? Um, and and each person with with her own rabbinical authority. So I, I don't approve or disapprove. Yeah. That being said, you know, I think that um, women who are so talented and have so much, you know, potential and, and the fact that they're still, you know, that they're, they're from and they're, they're not going to got talent and, and they're not, you know, whatever. I, I think that's amazing, you know, so because it's, it's, it's very tempting to just do more and more and more. So everyone that's like, keeping the boundaries and, 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 you know, and not, not trying to, and not tempted or, or not giving into the temptation to break those boundaries. I think that's amazing. Yeah, that's beautiful. So I know the standards of career and building career in Israel are a little different than America, even though I think everyone wants to earn well, you know, when they're putting their heart and soul and energy into something. What would you say your business model is something that totally works, or do you feel like you're compromising because this is your life's mission? I don't feel like I'm compromising again because I didn't have a business model and I didn't have a career model. I just wanted to make music, and I whichever direction was was available, that was the direction I took. The only thing that I really did also because I wanted to you know feed my family, my husband's in Colo. Um, so that was to open a choir because as soon as you're teaching and you have students and especially groups of students, so that's, that's something that is a parnasa. All the rest of it was, it, it wasn't a business and it wasn't a career. 
Um, so, you know, and, and, and really like as a woman to, to make it, if you want to live on the music business, like between the choirs that I do and the songs that I write and the performances that I make and like everything together, you know, we can kind of squeak by, but it's not, you know, if you want to get rich, we go into, I spoke today to a businessman who, who was, who was after has, yes, he settled his business and whatever. I think he's like in his fifties and he really loves music. So he wants to put out some songs and, um, yeah, we were talking about, you know, um, music as, you know, and, 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 and the, the monetary incentive, I said, listen, if you want to make money, you do what you did. You go into business. Now you made your money. You can go into music. It's not, you know, for most people, it's not money-making. I think even for the singers, um, mostly it's the weddings that they do that are the income. So, you know, it's not the albums. It's not even the big shows because there aren't so many of them. It's the weddings that happen every single day. So if you're performing at a wedding almost every day, that could be an income. Yes. And when people hire you, hire you to perform, um, is there a negotiation process or you just give out a price and they say, okay, and you move on from there? People sometimes try to negotiate, especially in Israel, where everything is is just built on that kind of, um, you know, haggling. <laughs> But uh, basically, I have a set price for everything. I have a set price for shows, and I have a set price for for songs. And it doesn't matter who's who's asking me if it's some young guy just starting out, or if it's the most, you know, famous singer. The the price is the same, and I I and I invest the same amount of effort uh, for everyone. And um, you know, someone said. You know, you could raise your price. I said, I, I could. But then the people that are really making it big, those are the people that are going to take songs and everyone else won't. So I might make the same amount, but but I will write far fewer songs and I want to write a lot of songs. So so therefore, I, I have no interest in raising my price. It's not it's not about making money. It's about making, again, it's about making music. So now that we got the fortune piece out of the way, the fame parts, do you feel pe like people respect you? Uh, for your musical accomplishments and for your music being so incredibly spread everywhere and known, beautiful. Well, so, you know, there's there's all kinds. There are you know the people that are starstruck, you know, which is which is cute. Um, and then there are people that you know that appreciate, you know, the God-given talent that I have, you know, and 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 that are impressed by what I do. Not because it, not because it's famous, but 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 because because it's good, you know, and 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 that that means more because you want someone to appreciate what you did and what and the thought that went in and the process that went in, and and then the the greatest majority is just people who have connected to my music and and it's made them happier in in different ways, and and that kind of appreciation is is what means the most. Yeah. And I'm really not that type of, you know, like into like the, you know, being a, a celebrity business or, or autograph or whatever. It's like, just not, not my speed. I, I think it's, I think it's very commercial to do that. I think it's very good to be that, you know, commercially, but I, I, I can't seem to, to put myself into that, you know, position. I just, I feel like, You know, I do what I do the same way, uh, you know, a teacher teaches and a shaitelmacher makes shaitels and, uh, you know, and I happen to write music. Um, the fact that it made me more famous, fine. I don't think it made me, you know, better <laughs> than anyone else. So I don't, 
you know, subscribe to that. Like, okay, she's, you know, she's a celebrity or she's a star. Well, I think that expectation or understanding is also a an understanding of a certain level of commitment and understanding of certain level of determination. Like the fact that you're writing music, not knowing where it would go. And, you know, somebody who shows up for their shaitel job or their teaching job, they knew the outcome. And you went on a leap of faith. You put yourself out there. You you were vulnerable and, and it got you somewhere. So I think that element of vulnerability and determination and consistency is what breeds that that awe and admiration from other people. Okay, I can hear that. I was very, very vulnerable. I remember when I was in 11th grade, I confided in a classmate um, that I, I make up songs and I remember she laughed at me. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, you know, so yeah, I, I was very vulnerable and, and you know what, Francisca, I still am, um, you know, when, when people, whenever I'm asked for a song, it, you know, in a way my heart sinks because, um, it is so scary for me every single time. I, I, I can't even count how many songs I've written, but it's scary every single time. And the fact that, um, I've been successful only makes it more scary because then people have expectations and. I don't know. I mean, I feel like, you know what, <laughs> you know, the, the only thing that keeps me going through that really is, you know, basically just like Emuna and Bitachan, like saying, listen, this is a talent that I got from Hashem. The jobs are also from Hashem. He's going to put it all together and I will succeed anyway, only for as long as he wants. So like, I try to like breathe deep, cool it and, you know, <laughs> let go of the fear. Yeah, it's very true because creative work is very spiritual. You have to be very self-aware and self-in-tune. Be really tuned in to receive. <laughs> so it's it's really beautiful to hear. It's also a safeguard against me getting a swelled head. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so to any aspiring singer out there or anyone into music or super creative and kudos to you for continuing with your journey even though that that friend you confided to completely shut you down and laughed at you which could have completely stopped you on this journey and it didn't so what what words of inspiration or encouragement and empowerment do you have for anyone listening i i really always say the same thing and i, I get a lot of people um young aspiring um, songwriters and so that contact me and I really always say the same thing actually just now I have to answer an email which I didn't answer yet from a young songwriter who wants to write for the big singers and I'm, and really this is what kept me going I it's it's if it's about making it big I don't know what to say I don't have any advice um if it's about making music then the story that I like to tell is of a famous violinist Maybe it was Perlman. I'm not Heifetz. I'm not sure who, but let's say it was Perlman. And a young uh, aspiring violinist uh, came to him and he said, can you hear me play and tell me if I'm talented? So he listened to him and he said, yeah. And he said, yes, you're very talented. So the young violinist said, so should I pursue? Should I pursue this? And he said, no, I don't think you should pursue it. So the guy left uh, the violin and he went into business Years later, he met Perlman again, and he said, um, and he and Perlman says, oh, I remember you. You were so talented. He said, really? So why'd you tell me not to go into it? He said, because you asked the question. Um, 
you know, I didn't do music, like, as you said, I didn't know where it would go, but I needed to make music. So for any young aspiring uh, composers or singers or songwriters or whatever it is, whatever you want to do, do it. Don't, don't, don't think about where it's going to go and, and, and at the end, what it's going to net you in terms of, you know, fame or fortune. Because if you want fame or fortune, and if you want fortune, go into business. If you want fame, I don't know, go into politics. Then you can have notoriety at least. Um, if you want to make music, make music. And wherever the opportunity presents itself, and if it doesn't, then try to find your own opportunities. It's not like I said, okay, well, if I can't write for the singers, so whatever. So it's not worth it. So I'll do my own choir, you know, or, I, or whatever it is. If you're writing for schools or you're writing for camps or you're writing for your family or whatever, it, is, it all counts. If you're making music, you know, and, and pursue it and keep your eyes open and approach whatever is approachable, but don't get hung up on what's not approachable. Yeah. Well, I love that because, you know, true, anyone who does make it has had to have put in the time and effort without an attachment to a specific result because you're not going to get that result right away or for a long time or ever, hopefully sometime. But if there's an expectation of a certain result, then, you know, no one would have gotten. And you're, then you're setting yourself up for disappointment and ultimately abandoning whatever you're doing. Yeah. Which is, which is a shame. So, you know, so anyone with a talent, like go for it, go for it where it, where it allows you to go for it. You know, the windows and the doors that open for you and not to, you know, bang your knuckles raw on a door that's not opening. Yeah. But just to counter what you said, you know, if you want to make money, then go into business. If you want to be famous, go into politics. It's interesting um, because I'm a businesswoman and an entrepreneur. What we learn here is, you know, your why can't be the money or the fame. You have to have a why. You have to have a story. You have to want to help people with your service. You have to want to change the world with your product. And that's how you grow. Not the, oh, I want to make money or be famous being the end of the goal. So in business, it doesn't work like that either. So even in, even in business, you're saying yes. you still have to have something, something real that's pushing you and not just, uh, I want to make money. Yeah. yeah. Right. I get that. This is such a fun conversation. Is there anything you'd, love, you'd like to add or mention before we wrap up? Um, no, except that wherever, you know, all uh, these listeners are, I hope to meet all of you someday in concert and, you know, or preferably, you know, this is the world has gone so, so crazy that maybe it's, it'll just be overturned and then Mashiach will come. And like my namesake of your, uh, I have my tambourine ready <laughs> and, um, and I hope that we will all you know, we'll have a much more joyful world than, than we've had until now, and certainly that we have now. And we will meet in song. Amen. Amen. I do have one more bonus question. Is there a story of a specific song that you can share with us that came to be? Uh, well, there are, you know, probably dozens sure. of, of stories. You're talking about how a song came into being what? or the a effect that a song had? Or, one or specific song that has an interesting backstory. And just to go into that. So there are many of those. But like if we're talking about a, how a song came into being, um, 
You could mention a few. Uh, Yeah. Well, so one day I was just like, I, you know, I usually write on demand, but once in a while I have a creative urge and I just, you know, write. So one day I sat down and I wrote a song. Uh, I wrote lyrics. Uh, Actually, I I did write a melody also, but the melody later was not used. And um, I was like, "Hmm, I wonder if this is any good. And I sent it to a friend of mine who's a singer. And I said, this is any good. She says, yeah, this might be good. Anyway, for a year and a half, it sat in, you know, in my outbox, in her inbox. And I don't know why all of a sudden I decided to send it to Jakob Schwecki. Um, I guess because I had done a couple of things already and I felt like I had an in. <laughs> anyway, um, like as soon as I sent it, like the next day, someone was there to take care of all the technical arrangements. And that song was Mom and Benissim. Wow. What does it feel like to hear your music in public? It's, it's amazing. You know, like I, I go to the mall and I, you know, and I hear my music playing and I, I mean, I'm, I'm in, you know, shopping for clothing with my kids and I hear my music playing and, and I, I really do always have this urge to just like get up on some sort of a, you know, platform and say, this is my song. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> that doesn't go away. Uh, that doesn't go away. No, I always want to get up there and say, guys, this is my song. But I just, you know, smile to myself and, you know, um, so one more technical question, and then I promise we're, we're going to wrap up. I'm good. I'm in lockdown. I have plenty of time. <gasps> okay. When you, when you pitch a song or you write a song on demand and you, you have a, some, you know, a vision in your mind, but you're not playing it on an instrument, so they sort of figure out the chords or whoever they is, are. So when I work with male singers, yeah. I'm doing lyrics. I'm not, you're not doing the music. I'm not. I'm not, not doing music. I'm actually now working with a female singer. Um, you know, lately I've been like thinking that, you know, it's such a shame that I'm not composing anymore because I did compose so, you know, hundreds of songs. And um, and then I, I was contacted by a female singer. I don't know if she, if it's public knowledge that I'm working with her. It's a singer from the States. Um, and for her, I did compose the melody because once I'm working with women, I can compose. Um, and kudos to her for going with me because I don't play. So it means she has to have a lot of imagination. I'm just singing without any instrument. Um, and, uh, you know, but when I'm working with the men, I, I write, I don't compose. Because of the singing and, limitation. Uh, because of the singing. Again, all these things that are like, you can find like, you know, a hatter for whatever, but. It, but I'm saying you, you know, could have uh, somebody you know, translate it for you, either like your husband sing it. Yeah, but it's, I know, my husband is always trying to convince me to do that, but it's, it's really a pain in the neck. So like, it doesn't, there's tweaking that goes like every time it has to be tweaked, someone is going to have to do it. It's, 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 a, it's a pain in the neck. I don't want to also, I work on many, many tens of songs I've done, maybe even like over a hundred, I don't know, with Yitzi Waldner. Mm-hmm. He composes, uh, I write, and I've worked with other well-known composers with Ellie Schwab, with Ari Goldwag, with Mordecai Shapiro, with, I'm good with them doing the composing and, and me doing the lyrics. What I do is um, when I, I have the music, I they need to know how it fits into the music. So I recite the lyrics onto the music. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's a... And what I didn't realize that, is that when you do that, <laughs> I once had to send something and I don't know, my... I don't know. I sent it to my son. I asked him to. I asked him to forward it. He says, "Mommy, I listened to it. It was me reciting onto the music." He says, "It sounds so funny. You sound like you're singing terribly off tune, because there's there's music, but 
but I'm not singing. So it sounds like I'm totally just like, I have no pitch, no key, no nothing. And then I heard that Benny Friedman also described it on a radio show. He said, it's really funny to hear. Um, <clears throat> so whatever, it was just funny to find that out because I had no idea that it sounded funny. Well, it sounds like <laughs> rapping a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, I'm not, but I'm not even rapping. It's just, it just sounds like, like, you know, like I can't that sing. That is a great story. I'm going to keep this in. Okay. Thank you so much, Mary Mizraeli. This was such a lovely conversation. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening until the end. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, subscribe, and if you're listening on an iPhone, leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to reach out about my music, coaching, or podcast services, email me at franciscak at gmail.com. Also, check out the show notes for all the links. See you next time. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.